The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. Happy Reformation Day! What a day to be able to get together and celebrate that we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith. Um, Before we get into this sermon here today, I want to give you two vocabulary words that just don't make it into common conversation very much. Um, One of them is the one that I shared with the kids, the word justified. When I talk about that word, you can maybe hear a root word in there, the word judge. So like I talked about with the kids, when I reference that word, you can think about a a courtroom scene where God is the judge and he's looking at you. And remember what I said to the kids? He says, not guilty. You are justified. And so when I talk about justification, that's what I'm talking about. God declaring us not guilty. The other vocabulary word that I'm going to give you today is the word righteous. Again, you can find as a root of that word, the word right. So when I talk about something that is righteous, it's something that is right, perfect, holy, set apart. We say that God is righteous. We say that Christ is righteous. And today we get to say that Christ has made us righteous. So as we dig in today, we're going to be looking at these words, these truths, the truths that that the Reformation was built on. And to dig into these things, we'll read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and 13 through 17. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts in God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law just brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. This is God's word. Dr. Aaron Tatari's sister died when she was only 19 years old. 
And obviously, that's a, that's a huge pivotal moment in someone's life. And, and Dr. Tatari, she, she wanted to talk about it with someone. She ran to her best friend, and, and she, she cried out to her best friend, what does this mean? Someone so young can die. And her friend kind of retreated from the question and said, I, I'm too young to talk about that. It's a huge moment for Dr. Tatari. She grew up and she grew up to be a, a, a well thought of thinker and writer. And, and she reflected back on this moment, and this is what she said. She reflected from this moment that people are very skilled in self deception. And that people are apt to shun the reality of their own life. And death. Maybe you can see from experience how that's true, how we're really good at not thinking about the fact that death is coming for everybody. She went on to, to point something very important about us. She said, regardless of our age, gender, culture, religion, or socioeconomic status, we all have existential questions that need answers. Where did I come from? Who am I? Where am I going? How can I prepare for death? We can't help but ask these questions, she says, and it is literally impossible to shut them off. You know, we can call them life's big questions. We can call them existential realities that we got to figure out. But it's like she said, we can't shut it off. We can't have rest. We can't have peace until we've answered these things. The cool thing is that we get an answer right here in this text. To one of life's biggest question, perhaps, to life's biggest question. The answer to this question is also the exact truth that the Reformation that we are remembering and celebrating today is built on. Here's the question. How can I be sure that I'm good with God? Or to put it another way, how can I make sure I'm ready to die? I, can, I think I can prove it to you that this is a question that all of humanity is dealing with. I can show you historically. I can talk to you, maybe you've realized this before, that all world religions are built around answering this question. Every single one of them. And all of those world religions are built around answering it the same way. Except one. And I, might, I, I, I know that might sound way too easy and way too simplistic, but if you give an honest analysis of where these religions are fundamentally built, it's true. Every single world religion except for one comes at this question from a human approach. They say, you want to get good with God? Work. Do the things that you need to do. Be the things that you need to be, and you can be with God, right? If you're a follower of Islam, then you have the five pillars that you need to hold up with your life. Or if you're following Hinduism, then you have the Vedic scriptures that guide you on your way to being on an equal plane with God. All of these world religions tell you what you need to do in order 
to answer that question, how can I be sure that I'm okay with God? Got to work for it. That was the same question that the Apostle Paul was speaking into with these words. He was going out and evangelizing people who, who were searching, who were trying to answer this question for themselves and had all kinds of answers. And it's not uh, an accident that he chose Abraham to be the example He had in front of him uh, people of the Jewish faith who held Abraham as their father. Except over the years, Abraham had become something different for them. Abraham had become an example of how you're supposed to live. You know, look at Abraham. Look at our father, Abraham. He taught us how we needed to be. God told him to get up and move his family. And look, Abraham did it. And God told him to circumcise his whole household. And he did it. And God told him to take his only son to the top of a mountain and sacrifice him. And he was going to do it. The message that people had been receiving about Abraham was that, look, guys, I did it. You can do it too. You just got to work hard. And so Paul writes to to this kind of culture and, and he says, he asks a question, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? In other words, what did Abraham know about what justified him? What did Abraham know about what made him good with God? And the answer throughout history, from every world religion, secular to the, the answer is that you got to do something, you got to be something, you got to say something. Moving from historical to modern, give you a couple examples of this. There's a, an author who has now become famous, but for a long time was of the starving author variety. Uh, he wrote and he wrote and he wrote and nobody ever wanted to publish anything that he wrote. (laughs) And he started to get really depressed about that. He said, I am an author. This is who I am. This is what I offer. And if nobody wants that, then what's the point of me being around? And so he wrote a book about that. (laughs) And his conclusion was this. He said, I looked into the eyes of my two daughters and I found my reason for existence. Or to give another example, I'm a running nerd. I don't know if anybody else is going to remember this movie, Chariots of Fire. Yeah, all right. Uh, it's a sprinter who wanted to compete in the Olympics, and he had all kinds of people go, go to bat for him, and he knew he had to vindicate those people. And so he said this in the movie. He said, when that starter's gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. <laughs> Ten seconds to prove why I'm worthwhile. I mean, can you see why or what this says about us? Can you see why it is that all of the world's major religions have gone about answering this question in the wrong way? Can you see why we, as Christians right now, are in such need of reformation in our hearts? It's because of the fall into sin. 
by nature, because of sin, we are going to go after trying to justify ourselves by means of who we are and what we do. We've got to be careful of that. As a pastor, you know, this is what it looks like for me. I can call myself worthwhile. I can call myself a good, faithful pastor if I plant a thriving, successful church in Tigard. Then I'm worthwhile to God. Or you can say to yourself, I'm worthwhile to God because I'm a decent mom. I'm a decent dad. Or I'm worthwhile to God because I'm an exemplary employee. Or I'm worthwhile to God because my academic prowess puts Bill Gates to shame. Or, or, or because my, my physical abilities are going to push death off a little bit further. So that's what makes me worthwhile. All of those things, they're the same. All of those things are us trying to justify our reason for being here. All of those things are our hardwired attempts to convince ourselves that we are right. That's why we need Reformation today. (laughs) You know, today on this day of Reformation, the 31st technically, um, the day that we commemorate is the day that a German monk in 1517 nailed a piece of paper to a door of a church. They had 95 sentences there, and it was his first time standing up for his faith. It was his first time standing up and saying, I want to talk about this because you're not saved by anything you do. You're saved by Christ alone. It's his first time. So we remember that on a day like today. Do you know why the church at that time was in such desperate need of reform? It's because just like in the Apostle Paul's day, just like right now, people were searching for the answer to that question. How do I make sure I'm good with God? And what they did is they went to their church and the church told them, you're not good with God. Not even close. He's angry at you. And so you got to say these prayers. you got to do this penance. you got to buy this indulgences. you got to be in church every Sunday. And maybe God will get a little less angry at you. And what I want to impress on you today is that it's still the same. We don't have churches on street corners hawking indulgences. And we don't as much have preachers standing up in their pulpit telling people, you are guilty and you will die. And here's the answer. We don't have as much of that anymore. But what we do have is a sinful nature. A sinful nature that without reforming our heart, without repenting and taking that to God, we will by nature always try and justify ourselves by who we are. There's got to be a better kind of justification. And there is. That's why you're here to celebrate. It's God's justification. This is what Paul said in verse 3. This is the justification that Abraham clung to. Paul wrote, what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I'm going to get sarcastic with you here, ready? Did you hear the list? (laughs) Did you hear the list of all the things Abraham did to earn his salvation? Maybe you can do that too. No. (laughs) What does the scripture say? It said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So simple. So beautiful. God asks us to believe in Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness is given to us. Jesus who innocently came down to earth and lived in our place to be and to do and to say the things that we never could and to die the death that we couldn't die and to rise again the thing that we could never do on our own. He did that so that he could give it to us for free. I'm going to get silly here and give you an example of of how crazy that is. That's free. Imagine you walk into an interview And you tell the interviewer, I believe that I have this job. The interviewer is going to think you're nuts. (laughs) Confident, but nuts. What do you do on a normal interview? You, you, You bring in your resume so that you can point to the things, this is what makes me a good candidate for this job. You can point to that. Or or imagine walking into a beauty pageant and and you walk in with your jammies on and you say, I believe that I win this contest. Give me my crown. They're going to say no. Or you walk up and you, you walk up to the microphone at a spelling bee and you say, I believe that I have won. Give me my prize. They're going to say no. You've got to spell some words first. And at that point, I'm out. But that's exactly how it works with God. Do you see how that's exactly how it works with him? He comes to us and he says, no, seriously, this is how it works. Just take this Bible verse in for how counterintuitive to everything else we experience in life. Listen to this. Paul says, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's the whole perfect, beautiful, pure gospel. I asked the kids to imagine themselves standing in God's throne room. God is the judge in front of you. It's not that you're going to stand in front of him without a resume at all. It's that you're going to have Christ's resume. And it's not that you're not going to have any merits to show God at all. You're going to have Christ's merits. And it's not going to be that you don't have any case whatsoever to show to God to say, I, I, I have a place here. Justification means that Jesus gave you all of that. He gave it to you as a free and perfect gift by grace through faith. This is the truth that Martin Luther stood on, literally. This is the truth that was so powerful to him that he would not stand 
anywhere else. You know, we're not here today to, to celebrate a guy or his achievements or his bravado. We're not here to celebrate Martin Luther. We're here to celebrate God's word and the beautiful gospel that it has and it is for us. That you are saved by grace. And now here's the application that I want you to take home. Powerful, comforting application for you to have for your life. Are you ready for it? Stop trying. Stop trying to earn a salvation with God. Stop trying to figure out what it is that you might be missing right now. Stop trying to figure out how to have peace, how to have hope, how to have joy. Stop trying to figure that out for yourself. You'll just exhaust yourself doing that. Stop trying to be God for yourself and let him be God for you. Stop trying. Believe. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Stop trying. Let God be God. Let Jesus be your glory. Let Jesus be your crown. Let Jesus be your everything. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you have given us a word today upon which we can build everything in our lives. You teach us that we are saved by grace. You teach us that your righteousness is our righteousness. You teach us that we have been declared not guilty. Help us to step off of life's treadmill of trying to earn and trying to be and trying to deserve. Move in us today that we trust you more and more to be everything for us. Amen.